Where you tend to focus affects your attitude about what's going on around you. You notice that? Are we looking at the heart of the Father's desiring to walk in those ways? Because sometimes what the Father's desiring for us to isn't necessarily our ideal situation according to us. See, there's some things that take our heart and to make us like Him. Well, this is going to take some one repentance along the way. It's going to take some, uh, some understanding. It's going to take us to have hearts set to the Father to be able to change, right? Because let's face it, Yahweh came and He redeemed us. And when He redeemed us, He wants us to he lo- you, you may have heard, He loves you to receive you just as you are. And that's true. But then He loves you not to leave you just where you are. <laughs> he wants to make you into something glorious. for, And that's a day-by-day process, you know? So He says you are a set-apart people. You are to be holy because He is holy. He didn't say you have to do these things so you can be holier than the person sitting next to you. No, He said, I am holy, therefore you are holy. Now, I want you to walk with me. See, and if we receive His Word that way, it changes how we view everything around it, right? So we're going to cover a few things today. You know, it's interesting because we're going to talk about uh, the issue of kosher, issue of food, different things. And here we are, we're coming up and getting ready for Passover. The big thing about Passover is getting rid of the leaven, right? How many of you guys know that's not an easy task? Because everything it's processed has probably got it in it, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's easier if you grow it yourself and you make it yourself and you do it yourself. You know what's in it. But if you're buying something that someone else has made, I, I, man, don't take anything for granted. Check those labels. Because there are things that, that we've pulled up over the years. We've looked at it and we're like, why is this in there? It doesn't make any sense. What's it in there for? You know? But it's in there. And I think this is what the Father's teaching us along the way. As we're preparing, just being obedient, we learn things. Wow. That's profound, isn't it? Really. But it is. If we're obedient, we learn the heart of the Father. Because sometimes when Yahweh wants us to do something, we don't get it. Or am I the only one? You know, you, you ever read the scripture? You're like, why? Yeah. You know, you, you, you feel like a, a two-year-old when one of their first words are what? No. And why? <laughs> and, and so we don't really outgrow that when we're faced with something that we don't understand. You know, we're like, why? No. <laughs> But the Father wants us to learn how to do things the way He has said, because He has purpose. And as we do the things that He said, then we learn and grow with Him. Okay? The issues of, of kosher is one of those things with that as something that we learn along the way. You, know, you may have heard that, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. But why? There's that, there's that question. But why? Guess what? It didn't change. And I don't see anywhere where it changed. And that might, that might cause some flack by some people. But I'm going to share some things with you today that will show you and, and explain some of that. Too, okay? Some of the questions we're going to take a look at is, does it really matter keeping kosher? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, in the scripture, says it's an issue of holiness. Another place, it says, uh, did Peter eat pork? Did God tell Peter to eat, to eat unclean animals? How about this? Did Yeshua declare all animals clean and fit for consumption? How about this? Did Paul say eat whatever animals you want as long as you pray over it? Now, here's the thing. We're going to have a problem with this today. Each one of these could take an entire lesson or multiple. We're not going to do that. I'm going to blow through these pretty quick. Okay? So I hope you're taking notes. I hope you're going to write, write, write this stuff down. And if you don't have that, if you've got your phone, take a picture. Not of me. Of the screen. You know, that way you've got your notes. Okay? And that way you can go back over it. Or, Lord willing, if the, if the live stream turns out, you know, hi, if you're joining us, uh, uh, live stream it. But uh, if that turns out, then you'll have that to be able to go back and reference as well. Beautiful thing about that is then you can share it. That way you can fight with people about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the heart of this, guys, but unfortunately, that's where it goes quite often, and that's what I want to avoid. 
Okay, that's what I want to avoid, honestly, because we need to be able to have some dialogue to be able to talk about things to help try to work things through. All right, so we ready to jump into it? Does that help set it up enough? We already like, I'm done. <laughs> we got some stuff to cover today. Just buckle your belts, pull on your hats. Let's get ready to roll. First things first, we must agree on one fundamental element. Yahweh does not change. That's the first thing we, that we must agree on. Uh, Hebrews 13.8 says, Yeshua the Messiah, he is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3.6 tells us this, For I am Yahweh, what's it say next? I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. So look at the context of this verse in regards to the verse after it. Where the context is a key role in how you interpret things, right? So verse 7 says, Even from the days of your fathers you, that you are gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them, return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh Zavaot. But you said, Where and shall we return? Again, he says, I don't change. Therefore, you're not consumed. You need to repent. Then he tells Israel, You need to repent. And they're like, For what? Do we ever do that? You know, when we're faced with the idea of the way we've approached something is wrong, we need to repent, which means teshuva means to turn around and go back home. It means you're on the wrong path. Turn around and go back. We're like, go back to what? I'm not doing anything wrong, right? No, Yahweh is saying we need to turn around about the way we're thinking, about the way we're approaching things, and go back to Him so that we can relearn, so that we can relearn and see what the Father's desiring for us, all right? So one of the things that we're taught in the Scripture and we're taught to pay real close attention to is to be able to discern between the clean and the unclean. Now, this is something that we've seen in the Torah. We do see it in the Berhadashah, the New Testament. We see it in the prophets. And we see it even in the time, times it's even yet to be as well. Discerning between the clean and clean and the holy and the common are, are things that should be taught in our assemblies. Unfortunately, it's not taught in a lot. Of, but these are some things that we need to know. Because if Yahweh says you are a holy people, how do you know what that means if you don't know what holy is? He says to avoid idolatry, how do you know if you don't know what that is, right? That, which, by the way, common can mean just that, just common, just everyday use. But the term common can also be related to idolatry, okay? Then what about holy, common, and clean, and unclean? What about that? Well, Yahweh says to come in his presence, we need to be clean. Well, how does that happen, right? How does he cleanse us, and what's the importance of that? Guys, if you were going to the tabernacle or the temple to be able to go in and worship, you had to be in a ritual state of clean, okay? So these are things that, that were important. So Ezekiel twenty two twenty six says, The priests, they did not teach the difference between the holy and profane, neither have they shown differences between the unclean and the clean. This was not good, and, and it actually brought curse upon the people. Ezekiel 44.15, referring to the sons of Zadok, we see in 44.23, it says that they will teach the difference between the holy and the profane and, and, the, and the difference between the clean and the unclean. That's what they will do because the people that were supposed to do it weren't. Okay? Uh, Leviticus 10, 10 and 11 says you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and that you are to teach the people of Israel the statutes that Yahweh has spoken to them by Moses. So Aaron was to teach the people of Israel the differences between clean and clean, holy and common, and the Torah. So this was passed on from the, for, for the priesthood to be able to do the same thing. Okay? So let's jump into some of this. Okay? First off, did animals suddenly become clean or unclean in Leviticus 11? Were th was there a difference between the clean and the unclean before the Torah was written down? Well, yeah. Let's look at Noah. How did he know what was clean or unclean? He had to have known. Someone had to have told him. Right Now, whether Yahweh himself told him or whether it was passed down from generations, either way, we're not told specifically, but we are told he did know the difference. So he had it from somewhere, right? 
In Genesis 7, 2 through 3, we have the answer to the trick question. The trick question is, how many animals did Noah take on the ark? Oh, two of each, right? Wrong. Wrong. What was it? Genesis 7, 2, of every, what? Clean animal, you are to take seven couples. And of the animals that are not clean, one couple. See? Why? What's the distinction? Why? Well, first off, what was the first thing that Noah did when he came off the ark? He made sacrifice. He made offerings. You guys are good. Most people automatically go to, oh, it's easy. He got drunk. Wrong! Because <laughs> first he had to plant a vineyard, wait for them to grow. Then, you know, this is not a, this is a long process, okay? He, first thing he did when he got off the ark was he made offerings and sacrifices to Yahweh. He worshiped. Well, guess what? If he made the offerings, then he had to have the animals to do that. Can you imagine? So let's, let's, let's offer a sheep. Well, I guess that was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> right so he had to have known right so what about after the flood genesis 9 4 9 1 through 4 so and god blessed noah and his sons and he told them be fruitful multiply and fill the earth the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground all the fish of the sea into your hand they are delivered every moving thing that lives shall be food for you and, and i give you the green plants i give you everything you shall not eat the flesh with its life because that is the blood Come back to that in a second. Genesis 1.29. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. So here's the thing. So every plant and tree and every animal and everything was given for food? I mean, that's what it said, right? Here's something where translation makes a big issue, okay? Especially, here's an example. The Hebrew word kol can be translated as each or every. There is a difference between each and every. <laughs> Right? So even, even in, in, in how things are worded, there are things that can be said. I mean, here's an example. Okay? So everything that's green, is, I've given you for consumption, right? Yeah. When was the last time you had a nice poison ivy salad? There was still things to discern there. Okay? Of every tree you may eat, except that one. There was still an issue of discernment. I've given you everything you see can eat. That one. But he said everything. See what I mean? You can like really pick stuff apart. And here's the problem with it. If we approach something with the wrong heart, we can make it say whatever we want to make it. But keep it in context. Keep it in, in the way it was given, okay? So what was the purpose of kosher? Some, may, some have argued, well, the word kosher is not in the scriptures. I'm, I'm not addressing that. But here's the thing. The word kosher just simply means acceptable. So I think if we look at the scripture, we can say what is acceptable. Can we all agree that there are things the scripture says that is acceptable and not? So it's a word that we're using now for something that is acceptable for, okay? and that's all, that's all it means. So again, when we say something is kosher, we're saying it is acceptable. Leviticus 11, 44 through 45 says this, For I am Yahweh your God. You ever notice things like that, by the way? That there are many places in the scripture where he says, I am Yahweh your God. And then he'll go on and tell us something. Do you know why he prefaces it with I am Yahweh your God? Because we need reminded of that. He's saying what I'm about to tell you, you might not want to listen to, but I am your God. Therefore, you listen. See? So what he's telling us is, I am Yahweh your God, you're not. <laughs> so listen up. Right? He's telling us something about himself when he's doing this. All right? There we are. I am Yahweh your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. For I am Yahweh that brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Do we hear about this in the New Testament? Yeah, it, it, it does matter. And here's the thing you notice. He says, I am holy, therefore you be holy. Then he tells us what to prevent us from doing to defile ourselves. It's not like you do something to be more holy. If Yahweh says you're holy, that's it. You're holy. He made you that. But now you can walk in a way that brings defilement to your life. So that's what he's warning us about. 
He says, walk as a holy people, not do this to be more holy. There is a difference. I made you holy, therefore. Okay. Okay. First Peter 1 14. As what kind of children? What kind? Obedient children. You can have children that are disobedient. You know that? Not anybody here. Of course, my parents didn't, right? <laughs> no, see, as obedient children, that's what we're looking at. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he who has called you holy, be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So we go back to Leviticus 11, verse 47. What was the purpose of this? What was the purpose of it? It says specifically in there, its purpose is. Do you know when stuff is just pretty clear like that? <laughs> you do this, and the purpose of this is to distinguish between what? The clean and the unclean, the unclean and the clean, to distinguish between that and between the creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. So in discerning between clean and unclean in our spiritual lives, in our physical state of being, it's tied in there along with things that are eaten and things that are not. So we're told to discern and put a distinction between the holy and the common and the clean and the unclean. Why? Because it's, it's affecting our physical lives and our spiritual. Okay. Second Corinthians 6.16 says this, so what agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? Why? Clean and clean, holy, common, right? Idolatry, common. What, to, what uh, agreement can there be between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. If you are the temple of the living God, a place for him to dwell, why do you want idolatry in you? Because he says these two should not dwell together, right? So as God has said, I will house myself in them and I will walk among you and I, will be your, uh, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Which, by the way, this is quoting from Leviticus 26, 12 and Ezekiel 37, 27. Just so you know that when, when Paul said, it is written, it was. Okay, Verse 17, therefore Adonai says, go out from their midst, separate yourselves, don't touch what is unclean and I will receive you, quoting from Isaiah 52, 11. By the way, why would he say don't touch the unclean thing if it didn't matter? Make sense? Verse 18, in fact, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says Adonai Tzavah, quoting from 2 Samuel 7, 8 and 14, and Isaiah 43, 6. It's like, oh, but that was just back in those days. What about time yet to be? Well, let's take a look at it. Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. It says, To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he which has the sharp sword at the two edges. I know your works. Which, by the way, you know, people always say, well, he, I, he knows my heart, Right? But you know, in the letters to the churches, he didn't say, I know your heart. He says, I know your ways. I know your deeds. Because that's a reflection of your heart, right? So verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, even where Satan's seed is, and how you hold fast my name. I have not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwells. But verse 14 says, but I have a few things against you. So by the way, who is speaking here? Yeshua, right? It's not your question. You could say it, right? So who's speaking? Yeshua. So what did he say that I'm holding it, I have against you? Because you, have those that you, because you have there them that hold to the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam. The teaching of Balaam. Remember Balaam and Balak? He tried to, Balak tried to hire Balaam to come and curse Israel, right? And he couldn't curse them. So what did he do? He instructed on how to get them to, he didn't curse them. So he got paid, but he also lost his life because, right? So what did he do? What was the teaching of Balaam? The teaching of Balaam. He taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. What was the stumbling block? to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. Idolatry and fornication. This was the teaching of Balaam that crept in to Israel. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 15. 
So you also them who will do the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the thing which I hate, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows, saving he who receives. Okay, so is the scripture irrelevant? No. Is the issue of food, or that is kosher, unclean, or common, outdated for the followers of Yeshua? No. Is the word of Yahweh outdated and, and irrelevant? No. What about the Revelation 2 that we just read? If we say that, oh no, see, this was just for a time back then, just for the Torah. When Yeshua came, everything changed. Then why would it be reinstated in the time we're reading about in Revelation? And Yahweh says, I am the same what? So let's, let's jump into this as if we haven't already, right? Told you, we got a lot of ground to cover. Well, I'm going to try to move pretty quick. So first, we're going to talk about this one. What about Peter's vision? This, you know, this is the first one that people always try to talk about, isn't it? When you bring up an issue of kosher. And I don't know about you guys. I don't try to push... You know, when, 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 when I'm talking to someone they, they're in the, and we're talking about the scripture and what we believe and everything like this, this is the first thing that I bring up. Honestly, it's not. But you know, one of the first things that gets brought up when you're t- talking to people, you know, it's like, I, I believe Yeshua is our Messiah. I believe who he said he was. And I try to follow the Torah to the best of my ability because that reveals the heart of the Father. Oh, so do you keep kosher? Well, yeah. It's like, why is that an issue? It's funny because if you tell someone, I'm fasting for health reasons. They don't have a problem with it. They don't. Or if you decide, I'm going to do a fast for a while, that's not a problem. Or if you say, I'm going to abstain from something for a while, that's okay. But the minute you say, well, the scripture says to, oh boy, now it's an issue, right? This is what I'm talking about. It's that, that rebellious nature within us that wants to creep up. If I choose to do it, it's one thing. But if no one's going to tell me to do it, right? But again, it's, it's how we approach the word. Yahweh's saying he's revealing his heart to us in his word. And if we understand it or not, it does not change the fact that it's revealing him. It doesn't change us that he said there are things that he wants us to do and not to. Okay. So what about this? What about Peter's vision? Let's, let's jump into this one. I need to move quickly because I can pull one verse out and give it in context. <laughs> you know? So we've got to move through this pretty quick. All right. So Acts 10, 1 through 35. So as there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a Roman army officer in what was called the Italian Regiment, and he was a devout man, a God-fearer. So was he a Jew? No. It makes a point to say he was Roman. Okay. Um, so he was a devout man, a God-fearer, and his whole household, he gave, he gave generously to help the Jewish poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, which was the hour of the prayers in the temple, by the way, as he would have been praying at the same time they would have been praying in the temple. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and Cornelius stared at the angel terrified, I bet he was. And he said, what is it, sir? And he said, your prayers, replied the angel, and your acts of charity have gone up into the presence, God's presence. And so uh, he has you on his mind. Again, his acts of charity, his acts of giving, and his prayers were put together like an offering as he was praying in this time of an offering being made in the temple. Beautiful imagery going on in there that I don't have time to get into today. Verse 5. Now send some men to Yafo and bring back a man named Shimon, also called Kepha, which is Peter, right? He's staying with Shimon, the leather tanner, who has a house by the sea. And as the angel that had spoken to him went away, Cornelius called two of his household slaves and one of his military aides, who was a godly man. He explained everything to them and he sent them to Yafo. I know that's smaller writing. Stick with me. <laughs> Okay, verse 9. So the next day about while they were still up on their way and approaching the city, Kepha went up to, on the roof of the house to pray. And he began to feel hungry. 
and wanted something to eat. But while they were uh, preparing the meal, he fell into a trance, in which he saw heaven open and something that looked like a large sheet being lowered to the ground by its four corners. Let's stop for just a second. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt this way physically and God used that situation where you were at right then and there to explain something that he desires for you? You think, consider that might be what's happening here? God wants to explain something to Peter that he might not be ready or willing to hear, but he's going to use a situation that he's in right there to help explain it. It says he was hungry. So God, I'm going to take this opportunity to show you something that you need to hear. Okay, what was it? Let's keep reading. Verse 12, so the sheet, uh, in, all, in it were all kinds of uh, four-footed animals, crawling creatures, wild birds. Then the voice called to him, get up, Kepha, slaughter and eat. And Peter said, okay, I've always wanted to try that. No. <laughs> what did he reply? What did he say? No. He told God, no. Flat no. Absolutely not. I have, what's the word? Never eaten food that was unclean or trife, which would be common or unclean. Okay. So then the voice spoke to him a second time saying, stop treating as unclean that which God has made clean. And this happened three times. And then the sheet is immediately taken up back to the heaven. So consider this for a minute. Three times he said, no, I'm not going to eat that because I have, what was the word? Never eaten anything unclean or trife, something that was common or unclean. Now here's the question that just has to be asked. How many meals did he have with Yeshua? How long was he with him? I mean, he had to have a few meals with him. Did they eat anything that, was, that would not be considered kosher? Well, Peter just said, I've never. What does never mean? Right. He says, I have never. So when this was revealing, the next verse makes perfect sense. And we're stuck. It's not going to go there for us. So verse 17. So Kepha was still puzzling over the meaning. He was puzzled over this thing. Why would he, why would he be puzzled? I mean, if God said, here's these, here's these animals, these, are all, these things are all unclean, rise, kill, and eat, go for it, Peter. And Peter says, no. He says, don't call unclean what I've called clean, what I have cleansed. But he's puzzled about it. Why would he be puzzled? Like, what does this mean? What does it mean? I don't get it. I don't understand. Why would I be told to do this, right? So what's happening? So Kepha was still puzzling over the meaning of the vision he had seen when the men Cornelius had sent, having acquired for Shimon's house, they stood at the gate and he called out to ask that Shimon, known as Kepha, was staying there. And while Kepha's mind was still on the vision, what was, what was his mind still on? We just said it. What was his mind still on? So he was still trying to figure out what he had just seen, right? So what happened? So Kepha's mind was still on the vision and the spirit said, what? Three men are looking for you. Hmm. So now get up, go downstairs and have no misgivings about going with them because I myself have sent them. Why would he have misgivings about going with them? If God says, I got men down there, I want you to go with, it would be okay. But why would he say, I've sent you men, don't have any misgivings about going with them? Because they weren't Jewish. They were Gentiles and they wanted him to come to, to a house of a Gentile that would be considered unclean. You following it? Verse 21. So Kepha went down and he said to the men, you were looking for me, here I am. What brings you here? And they answered, Cornelius, he's a Roman army officer, an upright man and a God-fearer, a man highly regarded by the whole Jewish nation. And he was told by a holy angel to have you come to his house and listen to what you have to say. Now look what happens next. Peter did what? He went with them. And he said to them, you are well aware that for a man who is a Jew to have close association with someone who belongs to another people or to come and visit him is something that is just not done. 
But God has said, I can eat whatever I want now. Is that what he said? No. What does he say? But God has shown me not to call any person. What's that word again? Person. I'm sorry. One more time. Person, common, or unclean. So what was the meaning of Peter's vision? According to Peter himself. People. Do not call people unclean who God has made clean. Okay? So moving on. Peter says what the interpretation God has shown me not to call any person common or unclean. Then Kepha addressed them, and he said, Now I understand God does not play favorites, but that whoever fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him, no matter what people he belongs to. Okay, what about Galatians 2? You may have heard this one. What about Galatians 2, 11 and 12? It says, Furthermore, when Kepha, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him publicly because he was clearly in the wrong. For prior to my arrival uh, of certain people from the community headed by Jacob, he had been eating with the Gentile believers. Oh. So Paul opposed him because before they got there, he was eating with the Gentiles. That was wrong? Is that what the issue was? It's not about what he was eating. It's about there were people that were saying, if you eat with a Gentile, you're unclean because Gentiles are unclean. That's what was being addressed. Peter was, was uh, at times scared of what the, the, the blowback that he might have from something like this. So, you know, he would go and he would eat with them. But then when other people were around, he would like avoid, you know, that's what Paul was having with. Let's keep reading. But when they came, he withdrew and he separated himself because he was afraid of the faction who favored the circumcising Gentile believers. So was the issue what he ate or who he ate with? Who he ate with. Gentiles would have been considered unclean even if they prepared meat that was a kosher animal. Here's something, biblical principle. If something is clean and something unclean touches it, what happens? Does the unclean thing become clean or does the clean thing become unclean? That which was clean, if something unclean touched it, it became unclean. So what happens here? Even if it was a kosher animal, but someone who was unclean prepared it, what would it be considered? Unclean. That's what was going on here. It wasn't about what kind of animal it was. It was more so the emphasis about the people. What did the rest of the disciples think of Peter's vision? The Jerusalem council, right? Acts 11. The emissaries and the brothers throughout Yehuda heard that the Goyim had received the word of God. And that was exciting, right? Uh, when Kepha went up to Jerusalem, the members of the circumcision faction criticized him, saying, you went into the homes of uncircumcised men and even ate with them. Did they have an issue with what he ate or the fact that he ate with them? See, they didn't talk, the issue was not what was served. The issue was he ate with them. And in reply, Kepha began explaining in detail what had actually happened. So what actually happened? Remember the vision. And what it meant, right? Peter explains what he saw and what it meant. Peter explains it. Out of Peter's own mouth, he explains it. And what did he say? What was the conclusion? He went and he, and he talked to the Talmudim so that all the Talmudim can eat unclean meats. Was that the conclusion? Look, 18. On hearing these things, they stopped object, objecting and began to praise God, saying, this means that God has what? Enabled the Gentiles, the Goyim, the people of the nation, as, as well to do Teshuvah and have life. No matter what they are, people from all nations can repent and serve Yahweh. That's the issue. Hmm. It had nothing to do with about what was served at the table. Even if it was lamb, but where'd they get it? You know what I mean? All right. So did, this, did the disciples recommend keeping Torah and kosher? Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's part of it. Acts 15, verses 5 through 9. Some of those who had come to trust were from the, the party of the Pershim, the Pharisees, and they stood up and they circumcised people, the people who were coming to faith, people who were of the nations who are now coming to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. They don't know how to do it. 
And so they're trying to do it the way that they know, and they're causing problems, okay? So they come, there's this council, it's like, what do we do? How do we handle these things? What's going on? Okay, so back here, Acts 15, verse 6, so the emissaries and the elders, they met to look into the matter, and after a lengthy debate, Kepha got up and he said to them, brothers, you yourselves know uh, that a good while back, God chose me from among you to be the one whose mouth the Goyim should hear the, the message of the good news and come to trust. And God, who knows the heart, bore them witness by giving a Ruach HaKodesh to them, just as he did to us. So that is, he made no distinction between us and them, but cleansed their heart by trust. All of that, this is what he's saying. And then you go down, Acts 15, 19 to 21, what was the determination after Peter said, look guys, you know what happened, here's the story, this is what was going on, what do we do here now, right? So Acts 15, 19, therefore, this is James speaking, my opinion is we should not put obstacles in the way of the goyim that are turning to God, but instead we should write them a letter telling them two, four things that we're looking here, okay? Four things, there is a fifth, we'll get to that in a second. Four things, one, abstain from things polluted by idols, that's idolatry, right? That would be considered common, idolatry. From fornication, from that which is strangled, which is an issue of kosher, remember? And from blood, hmm. So not to eat the blood and not from things strangled or not from idolatry and abstain from fornication. These are the four things that were given, if you will, as the kindergarten instruction to new believers. Unfortunately, these aren't taught. But this is where this is supposed to be our starting point. And how can you teach these if you say Torah is irrelevant, right? So what's the fifth? So from the earliest times, Moshe has had in every city those who proclaim him with his words being read in the synagogues every Shabbat. What he's saying is, go to the synagogue on Shabbat to hear the Torah taught. That's what's being said. Hmm. Why? Start with these four things, then study. Get in with the community and help to learn your mode of life from that point forward. It is a step-by-step -step process. You are not expected to know it all at once. You learn, and as you go, you grow, right? Okay, so did the Torah teachers take issue with the food Yeshua ate? No. Did Yeshua make all animals clean and fit for consumption? No. But uh, this is things we're looking at. We know that the, to the Torah teachers took issue with Yeshua and some things that he ate. But what was the issue really? Was it what he was eating or was it something else? All right, moving on. What record do we have of any food Yeshua ate? That's a good place to start, right? What record do we have of any food that he ate? Well, he fed the thousands with what? Fish. What's a good prominent fish that you find in that area out there? It's a white fish, right? It's good stuff, by the way. So he fed the disciples on the beach with what? Yeah, fish. He ate the Passover lamb because we know he observed Passover, right? Um, John the Baptist, he ate locusts. I know there's different translations as far as what that means, but regardless, locusts is kosher. I haven't eaten it, but it's kosher, <laughs> okay? So let's look at this, Mark 7. Mark 7. So the Parashim, that's the Pharisees, and some of the Torah teachers who had come from Yerushalayim gathered together with Yeshua, and they saw that some of his Talmudim ate with ritually unclean hands, that is, without doing the Netalei Yadayim. So is the issue here, it says right here, is the issue what they're about to eat, or is the issue they have not, or they have not done this ritual before they ate? The issue is they have not done this ritual before they ate. Now here's a question for you. Is it a good idea to wash your hands before you eat? Yeah. Please do. Okay? Especially if you're the one cooking, wash your hands, all right? <laughs> there will no be a community thing if you don't, all right? <laughs> so it's not about that. It's about of there was a ritual to do it. There was a certain way and a process and blessings and all this, and it would not have been considered good for you to go through and now eat if you have not done the whole process. And Yeshua's like, you don't have to do all this, right? So the Parashim and indeed all the Judeans holding fast to the tradition of the elders, they do not eat unless they have given their hands a ceremonial washing, not just a washing, but a ceremonial washing. Also, when they come from the marketplace, 
They do not eat unless they have rinsed their hands up to the wrist and the, they adhere to many other traditions such as washing the cups, pots, bronze vessels. Again, there's nothing wrong with washing dishes. Please do it. But again, if it's a ritual thing and it says it's a command, that wasn't so. All right. So what was the issue really? Let's take a look. According to the tradition, if you prepare clean food with ritually unclean hands, what would it do to the food? Make it unclean. That was the issue. All right. So back here in Mark 7, let's go to verse 5. So the parishioner and the Torah teachers asked him, why don't your Talmudim live in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but instead eat with ritually unclean hands? Did they take issue with what was being eaten? No, they were taking issue with they didn't do the ceremony. Verse 6, Yeshua says, Yeshiyahu, that's Isaiah, was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship of me is useless because they teach man-made rules as if they were doctrines. You depart from God's command and hold on to human tradition. Thus, with your tradition, which you had handed down to you, you nullify the word of God and you do other things like this. So what was the issue? To say, we're going to receive this tradition, but, okay, here's a, there's a there's line here, okay? Many traditions there's nothing wrong with. But the problem is when you do a tradition and you're like, God said you have to do it this way, that's not the case, okay? If you're doing a tradition for the sake of tradition, well, if that's what you want to do, fine. But the minute you say God commanded to and he didn't, now we have a problem, okay? So just following that. So what happens next? Mark 7, 14. So Yeshua called the people to him again. And he said, listen to me, all of you, and understand this. There's nothing outside a person by which going into him can make him unclean. Rather, it is the things that come out of a person which make a person unclean. We'll come back to that word here in a second. Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what's this word being used for unclean? The word in the Greek would be from the word koinos, koinos, which would mean common. Literally, something shared by all or several, but also can be translated as regarding idolatry. So something that is common or even relating to idolatry. Remember, we're told we're supposed to make a distinction between clean and clean and holy and common, right? So he says that the things that come out of a person is what makes him common. See that? What, co- what are people we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be a people that are holy, not common. So he says it's what comes from you that makes you common, right? So keep moving. Just so you have the differences. Unclean in the Hebrew is tame. The Greek equivalent of the word tameo would be akathorthos. And because if we go to the Brit Hadashah, we're going to need to know how these two words relate to one another, right? And then the word for common, whole, which would be related to the Greek word koinos, which is what we judge. So again, the word whole is common. So it's an issue of being not holy. It's an issue of, it can also be translated as idolatry. That we're talking about. So let's go back here. Mark 7, 15. So there's nothing outside a person which going, uh, going into him can make him common. In other words, unholy. Now notice, we're talking, what were they taking issues with? Eating something unkosher? Is that what was going on in this chapter? No. It was, they didn't do the ceremony of washing. It's not an issue of, is, are they eating something that wouldn't be considered kosher? It was the issue of, there's dirt on their hands and they didn't do the ceremonial wash. So rather, it is the things that come out of a person which make a person common or unholy. Anyone who has an ear, let him hear. Now let's continue. Verse 17. So when he had left the people and he entered the house, his Talmudim asked him about the parable. And again, why would they ask him about it? Just to clarify what he was saying, right? So he replied to them, so you two are without understanding. Don't you see, nothing going into a person from outside can make him unclean, for it doesn't go into his heart. Now look at this, pay attention. But into his stomach and passes out into the latrine. Think about that, not, not deeply. But consider what's really being said here. Because they have seen where it says, thus he declared foods ritually clean. Not in the original text. Here it to say, this is a process that purges didn't change what the definition of food was. He said, you eat it, 
and it doesn't stay with you. You catch that? So that's not the issue. He didn't change what food was. Verse 20. So it's what comes out of a person, he went on, that makes him unclean. For from within, out of a person's heart, come forth wicked thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. What What does these have to do with what you're eating? Nothing. So again, that wasn't the issue. Greed, malice, deceit, indecency, envy, slander, arrogance, foolishness. All these wicked things come from within and can make a person unclean or koinos, common, defiled, unholy. These are the things that he was talking about. Matthew 12, 34 says, For the mouth speaks whatever flows from the heart, right? Proverbs 16, 23 says that a wise man's heart teaches his mouth and, and to his lips it adds learning. Romans 10, 8 and Deuteronomy 10, 14 says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Proverbs 4, 23 says above everything else, guard your heart for it is the source of life's consequence. How about Galatians 5, 19 to 26? That which comes from you. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit, right? The fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. We need to be operating in things that cultivate the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.19. It's perfectly evident that the old nature does. It, its expression itself in sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, involvement with the occult, uh, with drugs, feuding, fighting, becoming jealous, getting angry, it's selfish ambition, factionalism, intrigue, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you now that as we have warned you before, those who do such things will have no share in the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23. Humility, self-control, nothing in the Torah stands against. Moreover, those who belong to the Messiah Yeshua have put their old nature to death on the stake along with its passions and desires. Since it is through the Spirit that you have life, let it also be through the Spirit that we order our lives day by day. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying. So as we're talking about these things, we're, we're here in Galatians. So let's talk about Paul first. Did Paul say that you can eat unclean animals or eat or eat what, or that unclean animals are now clean? It's okay. You can eat whatever you want. Just pray over it. Is that what Paul said? Yeah, he said it. It's right there out of context. So what's, what's really being said? 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrifice to idols. Okay, stop. What's he talking about? Food sacrifice to idols. <laughs> now again, we'll, we'll cover this in a minute, but he's talking about specifically food sacrifice to idols, not something that was not considered food sacrifice to idols. In other words, He's not talking about a pig being sacrificed to idols. He's talking about, as an example, a lamb being sacrificed. Something that was good, something that was fit, something you could have as kosher, but it was offered to an idol. That's the issue, because he says it flat out. About food, we'll get to that in a minute, sacrificed to idols. Okay, so we know that, as you say, we all have knowledge. Yes, that's so, but knowledge puffs up a person with pride, whereas love builds up. So this is not an issue about uh, kosher or not kosher. The issue was eating food from the marketplace. Where they buy the food and the people they bought it from. Remember, if you bought something from someone who was a Gentile, it would be considered unclean, right? This does not change the definition of food. Verse 2, the person who thinks he knows something doesn't yet know in the way he ought to know. However, if someone loves God, God knows him. So we're talking about things that were sacrificed to idols, right? Let's go back to someone else in the scripture who dealt with this. Remember Daniel? Daniel, when Daniel was captured and brought away and he went to the, he, and he was it, it being trained in the, in the service of the king and they were supposed to eat from the king's table. They ate the king's meat and the king's wine, right? But Daniel didn't want to. Why? Was it an issue of, well, he's serving a ham and that's not kosher? Or could it even have been, even if it was something that would have been considered a kosher animal, but it was offered to an idol? 
most of the most of the people in the pagan you know area when they would slaughter an animal they would offer it up to a deity same thing with wine they would pour the first bit of the wine out to a deity because you notice it says they didn't eat the king's meat or drink the wine why what would they be doing to the wine that would render it not kosher that wasn't an issue the issue was it was offered to an idol which is what the king would have done okay so let's look First one. So in the third year, the reign of uh, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, came to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake to Ashpenaz and the master of his eunuchs that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding, science, and such of the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank. That was the issue because of the king was definitely in voluntary, right? So nourishing, uh, nourishing them three years that at the end they might stand before the king. Now go down to verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine that he drank. Again, if it was just an issue of the meat, you could make the argument that it was an unclean animal. But the wine was there too. So again, that wasn't an issue of being unclean there. That was an issue of idolatry. He didn't want anything that was offered to an idol. And you can go on and you can read uh, more about that as you go on and read the story of Daniel. But back to 1 Corinthians 8.4. So as for eating food, sacrifice to idols. Again, here we are again. The, the issue is what? Food sacrifice to idols we know that as you say an idol has no real existence in the world and there's only one god for even if there are so-called gods either in heaven or on earth as in fact there are gods and lords galore yet for us there is one god the father from whom all things come and for whom we exist one lord yeshua the messiah through whom were created all things and through whom we have our being but not everyone has this knowledge moreover some people which are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat food which has been sacrificed to them they think of it as really affected by the idol and their conscience being weak or thus defiled. Verse 8. So now, food will not improve our relationship with God. We will neither be poorer if we abstain or richer if we eat. However, watch out that your mastery of the situation does not become a stumbling block to the weak. You have this knowledge, but suppose someone with a weak conscience sees you sitting and eating a meal in the temple of an idol. Won't he be built up wrongly to eat this food which has been sacrificed to idols? Thus, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, this brother for whom the Messiah died. And so, when you sin against the brothers by wounding their conscience when it is weak, you are sinning against the Messiah. Again, is the issue, are they eating an animal that's unclean, or is it an issue of it could have been sacrificed to an idol? Okay, and he even puts it this way. So to sum up, what does that mean? <laughs> right? So to sum up, if food will be a snare for my brother, I will never eat meat again, lest I cause my brother to sin. He didn't say, that it, so if food's an issue, I'll never eat pork again, because he never did. It's an issue of, so nowhere does he say anything about uh, a kosher or something in there, right? Not nowhere. The issue was food, meat sacrifices to idols versus not eating meat, because we don't know if it was offered to a pagan. Like, I will never eat meat because I don't know if it was offered to an idol. So therefore, I'm just not going to eat meat. Is that, the, is that a decision they can live with? Sure, they can live with that. But if you have something and you know it wasn't, it wasn't offered to an idol or it doesn't bother you, you know, whatever, right? This is where he said, so pray over it. Anyway, here's, here's one example here. What's required for halal? Halal, as you know, there's a difference between halal and kosher, right? So what is required for halal? Halal means permitted or lawful. Halal foods 
uh, are foods that are allowed under Islamic law. According to these guidelines, gathered from the Quran, Muslim followers cannot consume the following. Pork or pork byproducts, animals that were dead prior to slaughtering, blood and blood byproducts, alcohol, carnivorous animals, birds of prey, land animals without external ears, and lastly, animals not slaughtered properly, i.e., not slaughtered in the name of Allah. It's not the same with kosher. You don't, you don't slaughter a kosher animal and slaughter it to Allah and say, I'm going to eat it now. <laughs> That's kind of the issue Paul was talking So what about Paul writing in Romans, where he says, eat anything? Eat whatever's put in front of you, right? What does he say? Let's take a look at it. Romans 14, 2. So one person has trust that will allow him to eat anything, while the other whose trust is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats anything must not look down on the one who abstains, and the abstainer must not pass judgment on the one who eats anything because God has accepted him. Again, so is he talking about eating an animal that would not be considered kosher? Or are we again talking about that whole idolatry issue? Or just the fact that you're eating uh, uh, meat at all? So who are you to pass judgment on someone else's servant? It is before his own master that he will stand or fall. So the fact is he will stand because the Lord is able to make him to stand. So the issue here we're looking at is the same. Food offered to idols. Okay? The issue was not eating meat for fear that it was offered to an idol. That's what was going on here. The issue was not what is food or the, or the definition of food has changed. Okay? So what was the definition of food? This is interesting because in the Greek where here's what they translate as food, the word is broma, which the definition of broma means food that especially ceremonial articles allowed or forbidden by Jewish law. The definition in the New Testament of food is that which the Jewish tradition says is food. I'll give you a minute to catch on. That which Yahweh declared as food is still food in the New Testament. He didn't change that. Romans 14, 13. So therefore, let's stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make this one judgment, not to put a stumbling block or a snare on a brother's way. I know, that is, I have been persuaded by the Lord Yeshua the Messiah that nothing is unclean. This word unclean is koinos, common, idolatrous. That's the word that's used here. Nothing is common in itself. But if a person considers something unclean, common, or idolatrous, then for him it is, because that's what he is purpose within himself it is. So for him, if that's what he believes, if he would eat it, it would be a trespass. So if your brother is being upset by the food you eat, your life is no longer one of love. Do not by your eating habits destroy someone for whom the Messiah died. Go down uh, 14 verse 19. So let us pursue the things that make for shalom a mutual upbringing. Don't tear down God's work for the sake of food. True enough, all things are clean. The word there is katharos, pure. It's talking about food. When what was the definition of food? Something that was considered food and fit for consumption according to Torah. But it is wrong for anybody by his eating to cause someone else to fall away. So what is good is not to eat meat or drink wine. Notice, or why is the wine in there if it wasn't an issue about kosher or not? Because it's the issue of idolatry. Or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Again, not an issue of unclean meat, but rather something offered to idols. The belief you hold about such things, keep between yourself and God. Happy is the person is free of self-condemnation when he approves of something. So this is the same issue that's addressed in 1 Timothy. When he says, For every creature of God is good, nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. He's not talking about, if it's not a not kosher animal, he's talking about, do you know if it has been offered an idol? 1 Timothy 4. So now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Oh, what does that mean? Against the word that was already given, right? That's what we're talking about. Would you call a doctrine of devil something that God told you he wanted for you? No, it's a teaching from God. It's not a teaching from devils, right? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So again, keep in mind and remember, 
everything that follows here, everything we're about to read is concerning doctrines of devils. Would we call anything that Yahweh gave his people a doctrine of devils? You better not. If Yahweh gave it to us, it's his. It's his heart, his way. Doctrines of devils means something that contradicts what Yahweh gave us. Something to try to draw us away from us, away from us. So we must not forget, the word of Yahweh was flowing from the mouth of Yahweh to Moshe. Therefore, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. It is true. So when Yahweh spoke, he was revealing to us his heart. Okay, so what did Paul have to deal with? The, the guys, Paul dealt with the rise of one thing. What was Gnosticism? Gnostics, were, uh, before we get the word knowing, okay? Gnostic is to know. So knowing, so it's about knowledge, right? So what was, the, what was the deal with Gnosticism? In its most simplest form, if we oversimplified it, what is it? Gnosticism is a belief that, that the physical world and anything in it or any desire from it is evil. Anything in this physical world is evil. Only spiritual things are good. And if you deny all physical things, you would be free and be a spiritual person. That's kind of an oversimplification, but that'll suffer. So what did Yahweh say about the physical world? Genesis 131, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. And the evening and the morning was the sixth day. Okay, so again, Gnosticism was perverting what Yahweh had given. That's what we're talking about. It's a perversion of what Yahweh said for us. That which was not only lawful, but was good. What are the things that Yahweh said was good? Food, marriage, sex, people. These are now considered bad. And they were called, what was supposed to be good, evil. And they would tell others to abstain from these things in order to be accepted by God. Abstain from these physical things so that God will accept you. Is that what God said? No. So first, back to 1 Timothy 4, verse 3. It says, forbidding to marry. Uh, what did God say about that? Therefore, the two shall. <laughs> okay. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from food that God had created to be received with thanksgiving of them which he believe and know the truth. Food. We're not talking about something that's not kosher. We're talking about that which was considered food. Marriage and food were a couple things that were created to be received because they are sanctified, they're set apart. Colossians 2, 16. Let no man therefore judge you in eating or drinking or with respect to a feast day or a new moon or Shabbat, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is the Messiah. Notice he doesn't say, let, n- let no one judge you in your not observance of this. He says, let nobody judge you in your observance of this. So again, we're talking about walking with Yahweh, keeping his heart, keeping his ways. And what he said was 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be not unequally yoked with, um, uh, believe, together with unbelievers, for what fellowship is righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion is light with darkness? What concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he believes with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them, walk in them, and be their God, and they shall be my people. 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. I know we've said this earlier, but here it is again for emphasis. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. What about Isaiah 65? Isaiah 65 says, I have stretched out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good. Well, what are some of the ways he says there it's not good? Walk in a way that's not good, following their own thoughts. Boy, you know in the scripture where it says that they all did what was right in their own eyes. <laughs> When was that ever a good thing? You know, we need to follow what Yahweh is telling us, right? So let's go on. So they're doing what they want to do in their own thing, their own way, right? So what happens? These people provoke me continually to my face, sacrificing in gardens, burning incense on bricks, sitting among graves, spending the night in cave tombs, eating swine's flesh and the broth of detestable things in their pots. They say, keep to yourself, don't come to me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils and a fire that burns. God defines holy, not us. 
1 Corinthians 10, 14. Run from idolatry. He speaks of the cup of blessing over which we make the bracha. Isn't it a sharing in the, in the bloody sacrificial death of the Messiah? The bread we break, isn't it a sharing in the body of the Messiah? Because there is one loaf of bread, we who are many constitute one body. Since we all partake of the one loaf of bread, don't those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? You see that? It says, like the, even the, the Kohenim, the priests, if they partake of the, the sacrifices, they're eating from that altar, which they do. Yahweh gave them that as a provision. What about the shalom offerings? The shalomim, the offerings that you bring and you get portions of that that you eat. You're eating from the table of God because it came off his altar. Right? Look, let's keep going. Verse 19. So what am I saying? That food sacrificed to idols has any significance in itself? Or that an idol has significance in itself? No. I'm saying that the things which the pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice not to God, but to demons. And I don't want you to become sharers of demons. So you can't drink both the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake in both a meal of the Lord and a meal of demons. Are we trying to make the Lord jealous? We aren't stronger than he is. Verse 23. Everything is permitted, you say. Maybe. But not everything is helpful. Again, are we talking about something Are we talking about something that's not a kosher animal or not? Or are we talking about idolatry here? Talking about idolatry. Uh, maybe, but not everything is edifying. So no one should be looking out for his own interests, but those of his fellow. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Again, what was the issue? It could be kosher meat. But they were buying it in the market from someone who wasn't a Jew. So what, was, what were they being told? Eat what's sold in the meat market without raising questions or conscience. Again, not an issue of buying unclean animals for consumption, but rather a common issue, something that was offered to an idol. Verse 26, for the earth and everything in it belong to the Lord. Verse 27, if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat what's put in front of you without raising questions of conscience. Is this talking about kosher or not? Idolatry or not? Again, keep it in context. It's about idolatry. But if someone says to you, this meat was offered as a sacrifice, then don't eat it. Out of consideration for the person who pointed it out, also for conscience sake. However, it don't mean your conscience, but that of the other person. You say, why should my freedom be determined by someone else's conscience? Verse 30. If I participate with thankfulness, why am I criticized over something for which I myself bless God? Well, whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking or anything else, do it all so as to bring glory to God. Do not be an obstacle to anyone, not to Jews, not to Gentiles, and not to God's community. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not looking out for my own interests, but those of the many, so that, the, so that they may be saved. So it all comes down to the issue of the heart, doesn't it? Absolutely. It all comes down to the issue. But we can say, oh, so it comes down to the issue of heart, so if I say God knows my heart, I can do whatever I want then, because God knows my heart. He knows, he knows we're pals. I don't think so, because that right there shows that your heart is not walk with him it's to do your own thing and try to say he's okay shall i call it what it is that's idolatry you're making yahweh himself and you're saying i serve god my way and he's okay with it no you're not serving him you're for following him we need to listen to now do we make mistakes sure that's where repentance his grace and his mercy endures learn we change we keep moving but it doesn't mean we can go on and continue and just rebelliously what we want and think we're okay once you come to the knowledge of the truth ecclesiastes 12 13 and 14 so a final word when all has been heard, fear God, keep his mitzvot. This applies to all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including everything that is hidden, whether it is good. Ecclesiastes, Shlomo, Solomon. He says, after everything else is said and done, the most important thing to remember is this. What is it? Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the sole duty of man. That's it. That's the bottom line. What's your purpose in life? To have a relationship with Yahweh and keep his That's it. Look. Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Ruach is saying to Messiah's communities. To the one who overcomes, 
I will grant the right to eat from what? The tree of life, which is where? In the paradise of God. So he who overcomes, he will give right to the tree of life, which was in the beginning, which man was supposed to eat, but chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead. Revelation twenty-two fourteen. How fortunate are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices. If we're walking with Yahweh, observing his heart, his ways, we won't fall into the trap of these things. That we, though at times if we may stumble and fall, there's a difference because we do seek him, we repent and we come back. And that's where we help to need each other, you know. It's good to be, to be around other people to help you, to help encourage you, to help lift you up, and to help edify you, and to help, you know, that's to build you up and to help bring correction, right? We need to learn to work together as a, for his king, for the betterment, right? So let's pursue him, let's pursue his heart, and let's learn. We say this now, again, the issues of clean and clean and holy and common, as we're preparing to go into Pesach. Keep this in mind as you're searching for leaven. As you're doing this and, 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 and learning, as you're getting ready for Passover, how do we do it? Do we do it with a joyful heart? Do we look at everything? Are we willing to look in the corners of our hearts? Are we willing to look in the things in our lives? Or we're just like, eh, that's good enough as long as I'm not, you know. Wait, wait, here we go. I don't see it. Is that what we're going to do? Let's lay ourselves before the Father. And let's let Him do the work. Amen. So we can be a people set apart for His name. Right?